Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast but pleasant day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ian Smith, Principal Dentist at the Grange Dental Surgery. The Grange Dental Surgery is a dental practice serving the Kings Lynn area. Ian, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? It's, um, number one, it's somebody who has followers. It's somebody that people want to follow. Sometimes you, you don't have a choice, and and then perhaps that's not a leader. That's just a boss. I think there's a mm. distinct difference between a boss and a leader. Uh, in my life, I've played rugby and I've had some inspiring leaders and I've had people that I've been frightened of. And I think it's, and it's quite a difficult thing to summarize in a sentence, but, but I think it's somebody that people want to follow and by following him, they will achieve success as well. That's absolutely a fantastic answer because that, that brings into a good point. How does leadership in the world of sport uh, differ from leadership in the world of business? I think you, that's a very good question. I mean, I was lucky enough to play international rugby as a young man and played for a Scotland team that was captained by Jim Telfer, who became a redoubtable uh, leader of the Lions. And to to play rugby under him was actually quite scary because I was very scared of him and would, would literally run through a brick wall for him because I admired him so enormously. I then played under a captain called Peter Brown who was almost totally opposite. He was somebody you really wanted to follow because actually you loved him so much and you loved what he was doing and and he made you feel important. In, in business, I, I was an army dentist before I went into practice and had to run dental centers. And that was a completely different thing because mm. my leader was my colonel who was sir. And I had to follow him even if I didn't like him, even if I didn't like the direction that he was going in. Mm-hmm. But he was successful. And I think you it, it's silly if you don't follow somebody who's successful. Now, success, uh, please continue. You know, I'm just not sure whether that is the answer that you were looking for, but it's the way that I personally feel about it. Well, there's no wrong answers. And and what we've seen here is that there can be several different types of leadership. Uh, The fear-based leader uh, that you had to begin with, the respect and admiration-based leader that you had for the the second, and the legally enforceable orders of of your your third leader. Um, Now, having had those three different leadership experiences when you went out to run your own business which type of leader would you have preferred to be regarded as well i think first and foremost um you want to be liked and you want to be somebody that people will follow because they like you and they like the direction that that you're going in and they like the things that you're trying to do um you have to hope that the things that you're trying to do will, in fact, in the long term, be successful. Because if they're successful, then the people that are working for you will grow in themselves as well, because you will have given them something to follow that works. 
So it's important to provide that that rubric for people to be able to grow within. Yes, I think so. I think it's very important. I mean, I, in fairness, I run a, a single-handed dental practice with a part-time staff of three. I think we're successful. We have a large number of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, whether I'm the kind of person that, that they want to follow or I'm the kind of person they have to follow because I pay their wages is another matter <laughs> altogether. And <laughs> do you find that there's unique challenges in leading a part-time staff? Yes, of course uh, there is because they have other things in their lives apart from working a nine-to-five job five, six, seven days a week. They work two days a week. And, of course, uh, they're all ladies and they have other roles in their lives. They have roles as mothers and as wives. And so that that makes the whole story different mm. um, because you have to be far more flexible. And I think flexibility is another part of leadership, really, when you think about it. Learning how to adapt and overcome your circumstances. Yes. Yes, very much. Um, I work part-time myself now, and uh, that's great because it means that I can be more flexible as well. Now, opening this up to a much larger field, if you had to identify objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Well, in my opinion, it was Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if ever a man single-handedly made us believe that we could win, it was Winston Churchill. I mean, I've read several biographies of him, um, and I just think he was the most remarkable man. But he was he was a leader at the time that we needed a leader. Mm-hmm. I'm not certain that he was a great leader after the war. And he certainly, I'm actually reading Apley and Churchill a biography at the moment. Um, and I do think it was come as the hour, come as the man. And it turned him into just, I thought, the most fantastic leader. Now, of course, uh, with Churchill, communication was key. He was an excellent communicator, communicating his ideas to the uh, British people and getting uh, Parliament uh, behind him. Uh, when it comes to his later administration, though, do you think there would have been uh, more successes had he not been uh, nobbled in 1945? No, I don't. I think that he had his period of time as a great leader. He was a wartime leader. Um, so is that unique in window respect, in time? It's, it's a little like if, if Princess Diana had had remained alive, how would we view her now? Right. If Churchill had died in 1945, how would we view him now? Mm. Because, And if you look at Churchill's pre-war history, it wasn't that fantastic. He had a most incredible life, Mm -hmm. but he was probably one of the most reviled politicians in the country for many years. But then his moment came, and he was the leader at that moment in time. And I do think that our leaders, from my own experience, just as a rugby player, there are leaders who can totally inspire you by what they say, and there are others who totally inspire you because of what they do. And I think uh, Churchill was very much the inspiration by what he said. He had this wonderful, wonderful talent with the English language. This still makes the hair stand up in the back of your neck when you actually listen to him speaking. Indeed. 
And do you find that you draw lessons from Churchill in your day-to-day life? <laughs> no, I don't think so, really. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, who would I draw lessons from? Um, actually, probably um, people that I have worked for in the past, and, and that really would have to be in the army, and people who inspired me as a schoolboy people who taught me in class at school, I was inspired by them. Um, I was a member of a Christian boys club in my youth and I was totally inspired by their leadership. Uh, I thought, you know, they set a fantastic example to follow, not just then at that time, but throughout one's life. So it's not the great man that really does it. It's the individuals who take their time with people on a one-to-one basis to make them who they are today. I think that's very well summarized. Now, before I let you go, another generation will be coming into your profession. What's the advice that you give to a young person, maybe in the middle of secondary school, who's interested in dentistry? Well, first of all, I I don't think you know what you're getting into, even if you're interested in dentistry, which I was in my late teens, the most important thing of all for them is that they have to really like people mm-hmm. because dentistry is actually about people um, and it's, it's not about teeth. That might sound a bit odd for somebody who's been a dentist for 51 years, mm-hmm. but it's about people. You have to really like people. You have to be interested in people because they're interesting people. Everybody is interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the most important piece of advice that I could give to a youngster going into dentistry. Dentistry itself is just mechanical, mm-hmm. but it's the people that you're actually privileged to be allowed to treat. Well, Ian, I have to say this has been the most pleasant interaction I've ever had with a dentist. Uh, it's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope to have you on the show again in the future. Ian, thank you. Well, thank you very much. You make it very easy to talk to. That was Ian Smith, Principal Dentist at the Grange Dental Surgery. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, yeah. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership 
it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess would be the captain Bob Moore although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most 
powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage of, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second, I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, mm. 
So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year they've gone fairly well and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows in fact starting this week over the next uh, three months and uh, at the end of the theatre shows we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions and there's I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions Um, one the other one's a really stupid one it's too long for me to tell you it's absolutely ridiculous but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, 
Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, Is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just, Luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they've that they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. 
Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'd... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life 
to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this. Go with Arsenal and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.